Welcome to the Dying Dads Podcast. I'm super excited to have Cindy Muchnick and Jen Curtis back on the show today. They are the authors of The Parent Compass. They were on the show a while back, last year, I think. I'm, I'm terrible at measuring time these days. Do you guys have that too? I'll say last year, but really I mean two years ago because COVID time is like trying to count in dog years to me. It's just challenging. Anyway, they were on the show a while back and it was about their new book, The Parent Compass, Navigating Your Teen's Wellness and Academic Journey in Today's Competitive World. So we had them on after that whole Aunt Becky scandal with the college admission scandal. They had written this book actually had nothing to do with that scandal. It just, the timing of it was amazing. But they were talking about the fact that they were noticing things in their jobs as college counselors. Um, they were noticing trends happening in families and specifically in, among parents when it came to pursuing a college acceptance. They had worked as college counselors for years and what they were saying at the time was kids who were in their offices who couldn't speak for themselves and parents who did nothing but talk for their kids about like what their kids' dreams were, which, you know, code was what their dreams were. So that's what we were talking about before. Flash forward, pandemic. So they're not seeing kids in their offices, or at least they weren't last year. And things have changed a lot. And what they have done in the year since their book came out is they have really become a resource for a lot of families in how to handle their teens, especially coming out of the pandemic. Because before kids had all this pressure on them to be perfect kids to try to get into the college of their or their parents' dreams. Now kids are sometimes just struggling to go to school period because most of them were out of the classroom for well over a year if not a lot longer. And going back to the classroom has also been different. There were a lot of people who thought that post-vaccine, everything was gonna be great. We were gonna go to back to normal. That didn't happen, we all know that. But for these kids going back into the classroom, for a lot of them, it has been very challenging. And there have been a lot of things that have popped up as challenges that maybe people are surprised are happening. And God love our teachers because they are handling so many things all at once. So today we're going to be talking to Cindy and Jen about what they are seeing. And so we're going to be talking about a couple of things, social readjusting. Spoiler alert, it's not going great for a lot of kids. After missing a year of social development, we have a lot of kids who feel very disconnected, not only from their schools, but from life in general. In fact, in a recent report that I just read, half of kids report feeling some level of disconnection. Half of them admit it. So how many are really feeling it? That's my question. One of the things they're talking about is sleep deprivation. It's back because you can't just roll out of bed and go to class anymore, wear your pajama bottoms all day long. The effect that that is having on how kids feel, not only about school, but about themselves as well. We'll also talk about how COVID is affecting the college application process. Interesting, more kids are applying to college and they're applying to those select colleges that are so competitive to begin with anyway. Some of it is they had a lot of time in their hands and they were just applying. Some of it is they have gotten rid of a lot of the SAT, ACT standardized testing as a requirement to get into these schools. So that has opened up a whole new group of kids who feel like they might have a shot at going to certain schools because of that. So we'll talk a little bit about um, what the testing landscape is like these days. It's extremely confusing and uncertain. And as somebody who once fell asleep taking the SAT at Southwest High School in Fort Worth, Texas, Section D, true story, I don't know how I'd be doing it these days. I mean, I couldn't even stay awake way back then and there was no pandemic. So we'll talk about burnout, not only for the parents, a lot of us are feeling it, but those kids are as well. And senioritis, 
way earlier than it used to be. It used to be that senioritis kicked in in April, May. No, no, we're starting it off early now. And there are some very specific pandemic-related reasons for that. So on this time to ask all of those things I just mentioned, plus some really simple, practical ways to try to flip the script in your house and to make kids feel more supported and to make the transition of trying to get back to some sort of normal work a little bit better. So we'll talk about ways that you can encourage your kids to really look at the present and to embrace it. We're gonna find out why saying the word thank you all day long is powerful. And wait until you hear where they say that these kids should be saying thank you every single time and why it has been such a big thing. And we'll talk about the superpower that is empathy. So excited to have Cindy Muchnick and Jen Curtis back on the Dying to Ask podcast. And I'll tell you right now, this is going to sound like three girlfriends getting together and just talking nonstop for an hour because that's what happened. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and I've been anchoring morning news for more than 20 years. I thought I had seen and covered it all. Then came coronavirus, a pandemic, anchoring in my living room, homeschooling my kids, and all the things that come with COVID, including a vaccine. It was supposed to get us all back on track, living our best Instagrammable lives. Best lives-ish. The reality is we're still untangling what life looks like in a world post-pandemic. A lot of people describe a sense of never-ending overwhelm and anxiety. Is that just what life is like now? Or are there ways we can get back to living in the now? And this season of the Dying Desk Podcast is asking how we can hit the restart and start living again. Jen and Cindy, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Oh my gosh, I'm glad I'm glad to have you guys back. And um, you know, I really I'm coming purposely coming into the show today without having like a real structure because I feel like I want this to feel like three parents talking and kind of sharing their information. Now, clearly, two of the three know a lot more about parenting and school, <laughs> but but this is how people are learning these days because this year is not easy. So let me start with like the most loaded question ever. But are the kids all right? Oh my gosh, Deirdre, I wish I could say yes, they're all thriving and doing great and so happy to be back in school. And I think underneath it, they are happy to have real faces and real bodies next to them that they can touch and see, even if they're masked and, you know, and and a little bit six feet apart when when required. But um, I, I think that we are in the thick of it right now, trying to figure out, you know, what is this sort of post-COVID school experience like? And I think parents and kids are equally struggling in trying to find those answers. So Jen and I are hoping to converse with you on our park bench together and, <laughs> uh, and get to the bottom of all this. I agree. I mean, Jen, what's the biggest thing you're seeing? Like, what, what, are, what are you hearing people complain about? Or, or what are you just, you know, noticing yourself as you drive around? I'm seeing students really complain about the lack of time. So I think online learning gave them a little bit more time. Um, They got to sleep in more. Um, They maybe went to bed a little bit earlier, or if they didn't, they recovered with sleeping in more. Um, They were able to multitask a little bit more. Um, Some of my students were telling me, they also were telling me that learning online Um, Not that it was necessarily a good thing, but that the learning was a little bit easier because of the fact that teachers couldn't monitor um, what they were doing in tests. Most of the tests were open note, but those same classes this year are much more difficult. Whereas in in one class, maybe they were being tested on 150 terms that they could use their open notes for. 
This year, they have to memorize all 150 of those notes and the adjustment, the difference um, is a big deal for them. Um, even the drive time to and from work, I'm, I'm sorry, to and from school for them is, um, is taking up a lot of time and then being thrown back into all those activities that they weren't doing. I have one student who told me that in fact, he preferred the online learning because he could get a lot more done during the day. Um, and then he and his friends have agreed that they would just try to meet up after school every day. So I think just the adjustment between um, having more time and energy last year to being thrown back into the weeds this year um, is just really throwing them for a loop. And they're tired, a lot they're of, exhausted hear, and already burned oh, out. We're all exhausted. I, I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, the hurry up to get there. Like the thing that they realized they missed, they did not miss at all during COVID was the rush to get out the, the door, rush. to get to the, you know, the drop-off line, to make sure you had the lunch made. I mean, we kind of got a pass card on, I mean, it was like the only decent thing we had going was that we didn't have to deal with that one, like, you know, argument that happens in a lot of homes in the morning when people have places that they have to go. Um, and that creates, it starts adding in a different kind of stress. Yeah, this is Cindy. I would add on to Jen's comment there about, um, you know, this, this academic learning. Um, we are definitely finding and hearing that there are holes and gaps in this learning. Definitely, shocker. Yeah, shocker. <laughs> definitely in the courses that are cumulative in nature, you know, math courses were main concepts were not grasped last year and are now very evident. And I think teachers and students are having to kind of redirect and figure out how do they fill in those gaps? And sometimes it means going on to the Khan Academy and watching a video or, you know, or, you know, going into those study skills or those teacher hours to really understand, you know, I missed this. I wasn't really taught this, or maybe I just didn't get it because I didn't have that face-to-face -face connection. And, um, you know, I'm finding that with my own kids too. It's kind of heartbreaking because I, you know, a year ago was saying like, look, let's not worry about what they're losing. Let's focus on, you know, the positive and what we can, what the silver linings are. And now I'm seeing in my own kids, you know, these, these spaces of information where they're calling their older siblings and they're turning to, you know, to the teachers much more directly for help because there's just things they're missing. Um, I'm also noticing the social emotional issues of having a year away without the physical connection of students. So, you know, feeling like at lunchtime, you don't know where to sit and you don't remember how to engage with kids your own age face to face because you have masks on and rules about being six feet apart. And, you know, I just am encouraging kids to open up that lunch table and to, you know, say hello to the new kids and really, you know, be cognizant of, how many kids are still feeling lonely and isolated, even though they have kids around them? They just have, they're out of practice. One of my no, students, I asked him what was his, um, the hardest part about that first week back to school. And he looked at me and he's like, everyone's just awkward. Yeah. No one knows how to act. We're all just awkward. And I think they really did forget how to interact with one another. And they're having to relearn that. Well, and it's funny, you think about it in terms of their life, if they've been alive 15, 16 years, we took like an eighth of their life out. And the first four years don't really count. Let's be honest, you don't remember things from that time. It's a significant amount of time compared to us where we've got, you know, 40-ish years where, you know, yeah, it was a timeout, but we still have the life experience to know how to dig deep or to know how to rebound from certain things or to go into our intellectual toolbox to find other ways to cope. Our coping skills are very different, you know? 
Yeah, Deirdre, I agree with your comment there. I feel like, um, you know, the parents need to rebuild or reconnect with like the village of other like-minded parents because we are having that same, you know, disconnect. I am craving that human, you know, interaction. We had a couple backyard parent back to school nights. And what I was hearing from everyone is, I mean, the attendance was a hundred percent, you know, people yeah. to see other people outdoors in a backyard, almost anywhere. But the, the common theme I kept hearing from so many parents was my kids are really exhausted. My kids are doing more to make up for lost time. My kids are out of practice and, you know, my kids are stressed. And, and just hearing that was heartbreaking because if we learned anything during COVID, I mean, I had hoped and Jen and I had sort of hoped and almost wanted to predict that maybe this would help us slow down and look at what were the most meaningful and important things kind of to our kids, what brought them joy. And instead of packing on all this extra stuff to make up for lost time. And I feel like there's this constant tug in yeah. both directions because we cognitively intuitively know as parents don't overextend our kids. And yet our kids are wanting that and yet they're exhausted and you know, they're, they're, they're going to bed at weird hours still. They're not, they're having trouble getting up in the morning. You know, I, I hate this to be, you know, Debbie Downer interview, but it's a real struggle right now. I mean, that's why we're together to talk about it. Uh, this is Jen. I, I'm noticing this year more than any other year, parents complaining to me about senioritis. Senioritis is something in, in Cindy, Cindy and I are both educational consultants for anyone who doesn't, um, doesn't know what that is. It's college counselors. And um, so we deal with the application process year after year after year. And we always hear about senioritis. That is a thing. Um, students start to get fatigued, especially toward the end of their senior year, second semester senior year. I was getting calls in September, a week or two in, parents who were concerned that their students were struggling with senioritis already. And the year had not even begun. That is not a good sign. No. Not a good sign. So I'll tell you two quick stories. The first one is um, in August when my kids, my kids went back to school, two different schools the same week. And I took a, a week of family leave because I kind of anticipated it might be a rough reentry. And it was interesting to drop my, my older son off at high school because the principal was out every day. And this guy is just amazing guy. And I've, I've told this story in the podcast before, but he would meet the kids every day and get eyeballs on them. Cause a lot of them, even though they had the opportunity to go back to school, didn't necessarily go back to school in, in person last year. So they had been basically on zoom for their freshman year. And he was, you know, making contact with them and and seeing them and, you know, the first couple of days, it was awkward. Those heads were down and it was just, it was awkward. And you could see as the days went on, like the head started to come up and things were changing a little bit. And he told me one day about this speech he was getting ready to give them. And he was talking about how like we are always, and the kids were, they were looking to the past and waiting for things to get back to normal. And they kept looking and going, when is it going to be like it was? And then he had some who were looking ahead and saying, how long is it going to be before I can look back and say that's done? So they're looking two different directions. And his whole focus of his speech was going to be, look at where you are right now and be here, like be in the present, accept that this is your present and figure out how to make the most of your present and actually live it rather than tolerate it or survive it, thrive in it, figure out how to do that. And it was interesting, it just, he probably just hit me on the right day. It turned on this light switch for me that that is exactly how as an adult, I had been looking for it. Just keep on surviving, keep on setting up the gear in your living room and doing the news, like just keep on, rather than saying, this is just how I do my job right now. And yeah. 
you know, and it's interesting, but as people, like we are always wanting time limits on things and we want it on a calendar and we want to be able to say on this date, it'll be over. And let's be honest, the three of us thought we would not be having this conversation today. Yeah. We were supposed to get our vaccines and go back to say it with me, normal. Oh yeah. You know, we're not there. you know, when we go to the doctor and we have a broken arm, we want to know when is it going to heal and when can we get the yep. cast off and give us that timeline. And we are learning, first of all, that's a great story, Deirdre. And I, I'm going to actually tell it to my kids or I'm going to have them listen to it because I do think, you know, we're measuring life right now by, you know, what was life like before COVID and what's life like after slash still a little bit in the thick of COVID. Yeah. And, um, you know, we want that sense of normal. And right now it is a new normal. Look, my kids had a homecoming dance, you know, outdoors with, you know, headphones on. It was called a silent dance where they listened to music on headphones. I mean, it's just different. I mean, things are just different. They're, they're, we're pivoting. And I applaud the schools for trying. Yes. They are, trying really hard to support these kids. And when we're going to look back at these yearbooks of all these masked kids and all these activities, and we are going to know exactly when those photos were taken. But I really hope that we can, with kind of resilience and as parents kind of model that, you know, we're trying, we're getting there, we're taking those baby steps and, you know, we're not there yet. We're not there. We're still in it. We don't have the hindsight to look back on it. And it's just gone on longer than we ever would have anticipated. You know, who remembers when it was, oh, 30 days at home for this thing floating in the air and, oh, that's going to be neat. Kind of like a little family pause. And what are we now? Like almost two years? Like, I know. And like, nobody got a six pack abs. Nobody learned the foreign language. You know, I guess some people did the whole sourdough thing, but whatever, I can buy them at the store. But like all those like little things, those little goals we hit, um, they they didn't really happen. And so now I think a lot of us are waking up and going, whoa, like that was almost, it is almost two years. It's our third school year where we are dealing with this on some level. And, you know, for a lot of these kids, it is the time when they are, they are in their formative time where they are testing their limits and their boundaries and they're deciding who they are. They're forming the habits they will likely have for their young adulthood. Um, and, and that is, that is kind of an overwhelming, scary thing. Gosh, this is a Debbie Downer podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, listen, it really, it really needs wine, but we're doing this at like nine in the morning. (laughs) You know, I want to go back to that speech because I think that the, you know, those, those that was a monologue. You're right. It was a speech. (laughs) I, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I meant the speech of the the principal speech. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, You know, I think, I I think that that is something that we should be talking to all of our kids about, because I think that those two concepts that he brought up, being in the present moment and acceptance, they're they're two psychological concepts. They're concepts that are used in therapy, Um, you know, staying in the present moment, because when we don't, that's where anxiety comes. Anxiety comes when we're looking toward the future. But when we stay in the present moment um, and, and we notice what's going on around us and we're grateful for what's going on around us, you know, I think... Um, this is something that Cindy and I were talking about earlier on in, in COVID, but I think it still applies today. Although I think it's sort of lost. It's, it's lost the, um, it's lost being talked about because I think people are so tired, but Mm -hmm. I I do think, um, this idea of gratitude ties in too, because I think we're, we're not really grateful anymore. (laughs) I mean, at this point, you know, I think we, as we've said, we all thought it would be over by now, but I think um, we should be kind of going back to those, those core things that we can do, be talking to our kids about and that'll last them for the lifetime. 
staying in the present moment, accepting where you are, even though it's not where you want to be, accepting where you are, not fighting against it. And then also being grateful for what you have and every day reflecting on what it is um, that you're grateful for, because that's where our positive attitude comes from. Can I tell you my biggest pet peeve right now is when people are still talking about silver lining, silver lining, silver lining, because I feel like it comes off as tone deaf to a lot of people who've had some major things going on. And I think everybody's had their thing. They may not tell you about it, but everybody's got something going on that you don't know about. And sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, it's, it is very dismissive to a lot of people to just be saying this has been such a silver lining to take the pause. There are people who have dealt with some really serious things over the last year and a half, whether it's in relationships at home, their kids having issues, losing family members, losing jobs, worrying about so many different things. I I mean, the conversations that I find I want to have right now are about how do we fix now? How do we deal with right now? Yeah, I, I, this is Cindy, I would say um, we need to make sure, you know, in, in addition to the gratitude, which also we can show and teach our kids to show gratitude to their teachers who mm-hmm. are trying really hard and who have been on the other side of the screen and are, that they themselves are back in the classroom trying to figure God out. God love them. God love them. So let's make sure, oh. say thank you at the end of their classes. Okay. That's a real- Every day. Every, every class. Every, every class, day. Every day. Real easy. Just two that That's kids. a great one. Yeah. Two words um, to them, to their coaches, to you know any adults that they interact with, whoever it might be, the, those two words go a long way. Um, I just bumped into my son's Spanish teacher yesterday when I was picking up my daughter and, you know, she was gushing about my kid and I thought, oh my gosh, I hope he's showing gratitude. And what is she, you know, he hasn't been saying a lot to me at home. So trying to kind of read between the lines. And when I asked him when we were walking the dog, he's like, oh yeah, my Spanish teacher's awesome. I, I love her. This, and that. I said, well, make sure you tell her, make sure you, he goes, well, I think she knows if she's saying nice things about me, I said, but you got to say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> second, you do. The, the second word I do want to throw out is empathy. Okay. Let's be sure. Yes. That it's a superpower. That's yeah, a superpower. Our kids know we feel it with them. We get it. We're trying hard to understand it. We're feeling some of those same kinds of things they're feeling as we re-engage with work, as we reconnect in our real lives, as we, you know, go through these transitions for the first time too. And if they feel that connection, that you are hearing them and seeing them, and that you're just there for them by their side. That's pretty comforting because you, you got to be in their corner. This is not easy. I mean, I feel the worst. I kept switching around who at which group I feel the worst for. They feel worse for seniors who are senior senior <laughs> citizens who, you know, were isolated and, and don't want to, you know, get sick from this and die, you know, pre-vaccine. And do I feel terrible for the moms at home with the tiny toddlers who are, you know, trying to do their business and, you know, keep their tiny toddlers around? Or do I feel the worst for the college kids who are missing a college experience that they've worked so hard to get towards? And you know what? I feel sorry for all these kids for some different reason. And I feel sorry for us, but yes, (laughs) and I do, I do. But here's the thing, you know, we will have hindsight to this. This will end at some point in some way, you know, the COVID COVID is going to be just like the flu someday, you know, mark, mark our words, you know, we're going to get our COVID shot. We're going to get our flu shot. Everyone will have been touched by COVID. Everyone has been on the planet touched by COVID. You know, we all share this. It's the common, you know, the common thread, but the reality is let's show our kids this empathy that we see how hard this is re-entering. Um, it's hard for us to, you know, we're here, we're, we're here to support you when you're ready to talk about it. We'll help you problem solve. 
we're, we're in your corner and, um, you know, and to, to, to lower the stress threshold, to really understand that, you know, there will be, there are these gaps, there are these things that they've missed and they're going to be just made up for at different times in different ways. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. I was also going to add just with the uh, piggybacking onto the empathy thing. I think what that involves though, is, is really honing our listening skills, right? I think right now we're all so wound tight that um, when our kids come to us with problems, we want to fix them because life is yes. really painful right now for everybody. And we want to tell them what they should do to solve their problem. But really so much of the time, all they want to do is be heard. They want to sit there and unload on us and they just want us to listen. So um, I think that that will go a long way in helping them to truly, truly feel understood um, which is really, I think, um, a really um, positive factor in, in cultivating a, a really close relationship with them. So yeah, I would really urge too. parents to truly, truly listen, don't jump in and fix, which is going to be a difficult thing right now. I would also urge parents, when your kid comes home from school or jumps in the car, refrain from asking them about how the test went or how the paper went. Save that for later if you do want to discuss that. But when they deal with your relationship first, when they get in the car, ask them about, you know, something specific about their day or ask them a, a question that elicits really meaningful conversation. I wouldn't just go straight to um, how was the test or something academic, because again, they're going to feel that pressure, which will mm -hmm. lead to that burnout. Yeah. Well, so, we have why don't, do me a favor. Yeah. I was just going to say, I know you do <laughs> throw out, a, throw out a couple. Cause I have found that the one question that I can at least get an answer to is what you have for a hot lunch today. Yeah. That, hot lunch is my go-to. And that leads to something, right? <laughs> we have a whole list of them. So Jen and I wrote this book, The Parent Compass. You had us on before, which, you know, is kind of a, a navigation tool book, toolbox for parents going through these tween and teen years. And, I, and we have a whole list of questions, but to me, the real easy ones are tell me something funny that happened today or tell me something new you learned today or tell me what was the down, you know, the rose and the thorn of the day. And um, kids can answer those questions pretty quickly. And then, yes, of course, either what'd you eat for lunch or who'd you sit with at lunch, um, you know, you know, and, and then and then checking in later, if it makes sense about, you know, what it was they were working on. I know you're working really hard on that science thing. How did it feel? How did, how did it feel? You know, not how'd you do? But, right. Focusing more on on the effort during whatever the test was or the project was or whatever, rather than a specific grade that they got on it always. So focusing kind of on that journey rather than, um, than on the outcome or the grade that they got. After some very constructive feedback in my house by my children, I changed some wording on some things so that I now, if I'm asking about the test or whatever, I will now phrase it as, and this works for me, what could I do to help you more? How can I yeah. support you more? Are there any supplies that you need to be able to do that? Or, you know, like whatever. I mean, if, and it just, it changed the, it changed what they were actually hearing and it changed yeah. how they took it sometimes. Now it's not all the time going to work, but at least sometimes I found that that's a little bit more disarming so that I don't just get brushed away or yelled at or whatever. Um, you know, we do the gratitude thing in the car because I find that like that time in the car, you've got a captive audience for a few minutes. So we'll do gratitude rapid fire around whoever's in the car. So on the days where I have been around to drop off 
in the mornings. Um, you know, it's like, okay, let's do gratitude. I'll go first. I'm grateful that the coffee machine worked today. Go, you know, and we'll do it really like almost like competitive game. And it is funny, even, you know, the reluctant teenager in the back seat will come up with something and it's very telling to see what they come up with, but it does change your biochemistry very quickly when you are great, we, when you verbalize something that you're grateful for. We do something similar in the mornings. Um, we talk about what is one intention that you have for the day. Once what's one thing that you want to accomplish today, oh. whether it's being nice to uh, a friend sitting with the kid who's sitting by himself. Um, it just, your just <laughs> <laughs> we all know how I feel about making bed. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so what is, what is the one thing that you want to do for someone else today or that you want to do for yourself to, to make yourself better? Um, yeah. And this is Cindy. I'm just going to jump in on one other thing. Um, I just want to say one word and that word is food. Um, I'm saying that word because an after school trip to the, you know, smoothie place or the boba place or coming home and making brownies together or, you know, or just being with your kid while they're eating is just such a good time for that easy conversation that feels unpressure filled. The technology is most of the time off during the food, although my son figures out a way even during cereal at breakfast time to um, be checking the stocks and and the sports tours. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I always feel like I'm interrupting his morning news. But I, but I do find that, um, you know, I think we all know as parents that just having you know, finding those right moments to have those conversations. So it could be in the car, but when you have older kids and they're driving themselves, you lose the car time. So you, oh, have, yeah. to find, you have to find the other time. So good news, you will lose the car time. That's good for some things because now my son drives himself to the dentist and he drives himself to physical therapy. And there's lots of things I don't have to do. He can pick up his younger sister, but then I do lose that, that time in the car. So, um, so find another time for it. And food is the way. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that is such a good tip. Okay. So let me tell you the second story. So we do a back to school night and it's on zoom, which by the way, back to school night should be on zoom, like parent teacher conferences, fantastic on zoom because it was quick and efficient. You got to talk to everybody. I loved it. Yeah. So we do the back to school night and the teachers are all going through, and this is probably like six weeks into the, the semester starting six teachers, three of the six right out the gate in their 10 minute speech talked about mental health of kids three out of six said, here's, and the, the way they phrase it is, here's what I'm seeing. And they talked about um, how one of them talked about how he was teaching differently because attention spans were really different after the last year, probably because of what you were talking about with the multitasking, right? And the screens nonstop. And it was so interesting to me to hear the anecdotal evidence from the people in the classroom saying, the kids are different. Their needs are different. They're interacting different. They don't collaborate the same way. Um, and they get antsy. They're antsy quicker. They don't, you, you've got to get them in a different kind of way. And that, that is, um, I was appreciative that they were recognizing that a lot of these kids are still trying to struggle to reenter and to restart. But it also is, is uh, like, to me, it's a real question mark. Like, have we permanently changed these kids? Is this just how they will function and they, they will adapt the world or will have to adapt to theirs? Is that too big a question? I don't know. I think it's an awesome story because, you know, mental health is not a stigma word anymore. You know, getting help, talking about it, and the fact that teachers are aware of it. Like, look, I think, you know, bullying, you know, a generation ago, no one knew what bullying was. Now mental health is just at the 
forefront of everything. And it's not just about me time and self-care and all of that. It's, it's, it's teachers. You're so lucky that you have teachers who are recognizing in these kids changes that they can help address in the classroom. So whether it's modifying their curriculum, whether it's allowing kids extra time for test corrections or for extra credit or, you know, extra support that they may need in this kind of re-entry experience. I think that's fantastic. What I'm not loving are um, the times that I hear kids saying, you know, the classroom is getting flipped and we're watching more videos at home and, and the, the teachers who might've gotten used to zoom too much. And I don't want to complain ever about yeah. our teachers because I know they are working their tushes off, but I do feel like, um, they're, they've been out of practice too, with that, with that face-to-face, -face, you know, managing kids in a real classroom. So I think everybody is tiptoeing around trying to figure out the best way to move forward. And we're getting there. I mean, I don't want this to be unhopeful. We are moving forward. But as parents who are kind of managing this at home, I wouldn't even say managing is the right word. I would say, you know, co-sharing um, co the responsibilities with our kids. I think we just need to be aware and supportive that you know, that these teachers are also doing their best. And I love hearing that they're, that they're worried about mental health and, and addressing it. Mm -hmm. Jen, do you have another mental health thing you wanted to jump in on? You know, I think you covered it well. I, what I was thinking about as you were talking is um, this statistic from um, a study that was showing that when kids get to their college campuses, um, the astounding numbers of them as, a per, uh, as compared to 10 years ago, um, anxiety and depression rates have doubled. Um, and, and that statistic was from a couple of years ago. And um, it, it does worry me that these kids are dealing with significant mental health issues now in high school. Um, and I would say potentially some more um, stress factors than they were a few years ago. So what does that mean for when they step onto their college campuses? If we're ignoring their mental health in high school, and I'm not saying we are, I, I'm so glad that schools are talking about it. And that as Cindy pointed out, it is becoming less of a stigma, but it does worry me for when they are alone, when they go and they live by themselves. Um, yeah. It's just kind of, it's just a thought well, that comes to mind when- that, that, that good comment, Jen, is where we need to make sure before they leave the nest that we've allowed them to be independent and to self-advocate and to learn those skills so that when they're on their own, they're not reliant on others. I mean, maybe their roommate will help wake them up in the morning and maybe, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have- the, <laughs> Good luck to that roommate in my case. <laughs> I'll have that, you know, mental health center on campus that is available. I mean, colleges, you know, I have, I have two, I have one in college and one just out of college and they all know where the mental health center is. I mean, it's very, you know, there's signs everywhere. I've been spending time on these college campuses and, and the kids know that there is support for them. And as you know, Jen, in the mental health profession, I mean, there's not enough counselors to go around um, right now. It's quite a hot booming profession, especially um, the, the fact that, and here's, I think, I wouldn't call it silver lining, but here's the benefit of COVID is that you can get mental health support very easily online. It's through all, every single healthcare, you know, plan from HMO to PPO to 
probably Medicaid too, although I haven't done my research, will offer that, will offer you sessions that you can find someone and just do it from the privacy of your room or your home. And I know a lot of kids and families who have turned to this and it's been very, very successful. So what I would say is if your child isn't going to their school counselor or doesn't have a trusted adult at their school or doesn't you know, want to go into a session somewhere, find them someone through your health plan that they can have to talk to as another set of eyes and ears. I think you know the therapy is is an excellent way to kind of help support. Um, but loving them, the, the thing I'll maybe add here is that um, even though we've had some time off, I would put in quotes, or where our kids were home from COVID, a lot of them need time off after high school. They need more time off, like scheduled time off, which might come in the form of a gap year, might come in the form of, you know, of, of doing some other kind of experience as a break between high school and college. And while a generation ago, we may have raised our eyebrows at, ooh, your kid's taking a gap year, like what went wrong? Now people are celebrating the gap year. They are saying, oh, how great for your kid that they can go live somewhere else and learn a language, or they can do a couple internships back to back and get some experiences, or they can do a little research with a professor and learn something new, or they can go to community college and take a few courses to prepare themselves for college, whatever the, the, the choices might be, there are a lot of alternative routes that aren't just straight to college these days. And, and I really do think in the parent circles, people are supportive of that. Nobody looks at you like that's strange anymore or different or what happened to your kid. It's like, oh, what a great idea. How awesome. So deferring, great deferring admission to college is another way to do it. Apply and then just defer the year so that you can do something else for that year. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, this is your specialty is college admissions. And it's, it's interesting to look ahead to the next couple of years, because the last time we talked, we were talking about, we were talking about Aunt Becky, you know, and the college admission scandal. It's still going it's on, still going on. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. We got a couple more months that it's in the headlines. So, you know, hang in there. It's, it's coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm aware, but it's, but, you know, then we were talking about putting too much stress onto kids and, and, you know, what the, the extreme lengths that some parents are going through to get their kids into, you know, specific schools. Now you have a lot of parents who are looking at it and going, what's going to happen for the next couple of years when it comes to kids and school, because the traditional advice of, you know, find things to get involved in, create your, whatever your high school story is, has really been significantly derailed. And you have a lot of kids who don't really want to get involved in anything for a variety of reasons. They don't really want to do a lot of that stuff. Do you have any thoughts on that? On like, what, how much is too much right now? When we know that we were all pushing too hard before, how hard should we be pushing to encourage kids to get involved and to start going down that path toward college? It's a weird line to walk right now. It is a weird line to walk. Um, and and I think, as we were talking about earlier, it is leading to the burnout because the parents who are still pushing, 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 their kids are already burned out from COVID. And then the pushing is creating even more burnout. So what I'm really encouraging students to do is explore, get involved, as we touched on earlier, you know, join a club. But but maybe join a club that's just strictly fun, just to be mm -hmm. fun. Um, and for parents to really embrace the fact that, you know, we know from research that it matters more what a student does on his or her college campus uh, than, than the name of where that student actually goes. So what I really want parents to hear and to embrace 
is the fact that there will be a right fit school for your kid. I think so much of this pushing from the parents comes from, oh my gosh, what if my student doesn't get into a good, a good quote, a quote, good school, or you know this name brand school or what I had pictured for him or her. And I really want parents to hear that research does tell us that it matters more what they do on their campus, on their college campus, than it does where they actually go. And I think what that can do is help parents to relinquish some of the control and to, to be okay with allowing their kids to just explore during their high school years. That is after all what high school is about. So finding out, you know, getting involved in an activity and finding out that maybe I don't like this activity or this field that I'm exploring as much as I thought, that can be just as valuable as finding out that you do like something. So I do think that for, you know, social purposes, students do need to be getting involved in trying things out. Um, but really kind of um, understanding that there is a college for everyone, there is a fit for everyone. And, and really what we should be doing is concentrating on the right fit for each kid based on learning objectives, based on learning style, based on a variety of factors. And I think I would just add, this is Cindy, that um, finding a club or an activity that it, I agree with Jen, that is just for fun. Um, that you enjoy, I would encourage your student and finding actually the clubs and activities that happen during the school day and don't necessarily take away time after school. There's usually club fairs and certain clubs that meet during lunchtime once a week or, you know, before or, or right after school. So that doesn't conflict with maybe a different extracurricular activity that your son or daughter wants to try. Um, you know, my, my son was popping into the chess club where they were playing chess. Mm -hmm. My older son they would um, do something with poker, but instead of using real chips, they tore up pieces of paper, um, you know, just to have kind of an activity and other ones involved in the entrepreneur learning, talking about stocks, whatever it might be, something that just is fun and a learning process that they can enjoy. And during the school day, I think is, is a great time to do it. Um, and if it doesn't happen, then it would be finding something that brings them joy, you know, outside of school. It doesn't have to be a traditional school activity. So if they really like animals and want to spend some time at the pound holding puppies or, you know, or taking pictures of puppies or whatever it is they want to do, I think finding something that they enjoy is great. And I think we need to give them permission as parents to quit or to stop doing the things that they don't want to be doing that maybe they were either a little bit pushed into or are making them feel too much pressure. So okay, let um, me ask you a question on that. Let me, let me so just pause you. All right. Okay. Here, here's my, here's my question. Yep. I find that, you know, sometimes, and I was like this as a kid, if I didn't get pushed into something, there's no way I was ever going to try it. And then sometimes I might find out I really liked it. So how as a parent, do you navigate that, um, letting them find their own way, which quite often ends up with TikTok to, you know, to, to like, well, how, what is that balance there? How do you know, how do you know when it's okay to say, okay, you don't want to do it anymore. That's fine. Like what's a good shot at something? Cause it gets a lot harder as they get older and you can no longer kind of program their day. That's a, right. that's the day in parenting. Nobody ever tells you about that day where you can right. no longer set the schedule. <laughs> it's a really hard day. Sure. So you, you, you know, obviously expose them to lots of things in those early years because you're the driver and you are the navigator, but, um, but they do at some point, you know, tell you sometimes just to your face or in a way of just being disappointed about, oh, I have to go to this again. Uh, you know, complaining and complaining, <laughs> complaining about whatever it is should be a really clear signal that 
maybe this isn't the right activity. It doesn't mean that you're going to like everything about your team or your practice, your activity. And we obviously don't want them to just, you know, dabble here, dabble there, dabble, 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 and then kind of, you know, not do anything. But, um, but it's perfectly okay to kind of, to really follow their lead. And I would just check in and just say, how are you enjoying that new club? Or, oh, it wasn't so good. What, 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 what might you be trying next? You know, what, what else looked fun, whatever it might be. And sometimes you might find your kids saying, oh, I, you know, I haven't found anyone at school that likes Harry Potter as much as I do. And you say, well, maybe if you, you know, see if there is a Harry Potter club and if there's not start the Harry Potter club and you guys can watch the movies and and read the books together for the 15th time or whatever it might be. So I would just say, you know, being encouraging and communicating with them about it because they will tell you, I don't like this anymore. It's too much. I don't like, I don't like the coach or I don't like the teammates or I'm burning out on the sport or it's hurting my body or, you know, whatever. And, and a lot of times, I mean, look, my son's on, you know, a football team. And I mean, I think half of his grade is on it and it, you know, we're all biting our nails and holding our breath that they all stay healthy you know, when they're out there on the field, but even the kids who are injured and even the kids who aren't playing, they've all got a clipboard on the sidelines. They're taking pictures, they're filming it. They're involved in an activity that they love. So there's a lot of kids that just won't quit no matter what. And I think it's just hoping that your kid finds one or two things that they enjoy. They don't have to be the president of everything. They can just be a worker bee. Um, I'd be a joiner or be a leader. It really doesn't matter which just log some time. And if a club is lame or not fun, then they shouldn't be wasting their time going to that. Like, you know, how is that particular thing going? Oh, it's kind of unorganized. Isn't that, then don't feel like you have to go anymore. Try something new. So yeah. I think I am, I, I, I am I watching the clock. Oh, I, know, I know we have, okay. we're going to run out of time. So I am watching okay. the clock. Um, so I just want to make sure you guys knew that. Um, let me, where, would you say that the whole college admissions process is right now, given everything we've been talking about for the last half hour, like where is that going right now in terms of the standardized testing and the kids sending out their applications after this last year, and then looking ahead to the kids for the next couple of years, where do you see things happening or going? One of the biggest issues that we continue to see um, are these test site cancellations, particularly here in California. Um, and so I think what partly what that's doing is ratcheting up the anxiety. So I, I do. So see, meaning, meaning what, when you say a test site cancellation, so, so students, um, pre COVID were required to submit the SAT and the ACT during COVID the last couple of years, most, almost all schools have become what's called test optional, which means you can submit it if you were able to take the test, um, and, or you think your scores reflect what you want them to reflect, you don't have to submit if they don't. Um, and it's had some ripple effects in terms of really making applications skyrocket at some of the most competitive schools where kids were putting in lots and lots and lots of extra applications at schools that they wouldn't necessarily have applied to otherwise. Um, but these test site cancellations um, are the reason why they why so many schools had to go test optional because if a student is going, I mean, I had a student literally last a uh, couple weekends ago who went to go take his SAT, was never even notified that his test site was canceled. And he showed up, he, he drove two hours away and he showed up and too bad. Um, and so it's, it's really affecting, you know, going back again, it, it is actually affecting these kids um, emotionally. I know that sounds strange, but they've prepared for these tests and for this moment for years. 
And then they go and they're about to take the test and it gets canceled. So then they, you know, they get all ready for the next one and then they show up and that one's canceled. Um, so these testing cancellations have actually really impacted students. Um, so the whole testing landscape, I think, is changing. And it's really uncertain even for the younger kids because they don't know if the tests are going to be required of them. Um, and it's causing a lot of confusion. Um, so I would say that that's one of the biggest issues. I would also say that um, I think that at least with the students that I work with, there's a lot of fear because students know that um, for the most part, application numbers rose quite a bit this past year. Um, there's a few exceptions to that that we don't really need to get into the weeds about, but um, it, it made the process for the most part, all the more competitive this past year. And so, you know, we're talking today so much about burnout, um, but despite that burnout, they're feeling the pressure to go full speed ahead with activities and adding more and more and more and more and more to their plate so that they can be competitive. And it's just, it's just becoming this scary cycle. So I would like to add something positive that's not so doomsday. Please. Um, I, I was, yes. I, I was, I just spent- um, It took last, us 40 minutes, but we've got it now. I've spent the last few weekends on college campuses myself, boots on the ground, looking around at students. And I just want to tell you- Did you go you, to a party? Tell me you went to a party. I, I didn't, but I was there on a Tuesday night and there was booming music. There's always a party on a Tuesday night. There was something going on on Tuesday night, which was, you know, hey, I was pretty impressed, I guess. The kids are hanging out. But what I want to say is, the kids on college campuses that are back, that are there, that are vaccinated, that are following the rules, the freshmen and the sophomores, they are happy. They are Ooh. happy to be there. And, and, you know, I mean, I just, I see it in my son. I see it in his friends. I saw it when I looked around, I sat on a park bench and I did some really good, just people watching and seeing what the interactions look like. And kids are, kids are following the rules. They're doing the work. They're back in the classroom. I mean, I looked through windows and saw kids having dialogues. Yes. They all had masks on. Yes. The teacher had masks on, but they were engaging. They were happy. They were, you know, grateful to be there. And so I applaud the colleges who are working so hard to keep, you know, kids vaccinated, to keep the testing sites there so that, you know, the ones who, you know, aren't are accountable. Um, I went to sports events and, you know, the parents were out there wearing masks and, you know, every, even outside, you know, people are behaving for the most part. And I've been on multiple college campuses, not just one. So I'm, you know, moving around and I'm seeing it and I'm hearing good things. And parents are so happy that actually a lot of colleges are having freshmen and sophomores required to live on campus because the freshmen never got a real campus experience, the ones who did it online. Exactly. So now there's this extra bonding going on and reunions are happening and graduations that never happened are finally being scheduled. My son from class of 2020 gets to walk in 2022. So things are moving, you know, trickling in the right direction. And those are the positives that I do think we need to remember are happening and to take away. And kids are celebrating. They are on campus having a good time in addition to learning. I mean, there is a lighter- yeah, and feel on the college. And campus. I think, I think that that has just been uh, so incredibly apparent. I mean, even as I drove around the first month of school being back and seeing all the schools in my neighborhood back in, watching the kids walking in and coming out of school and interacting with their masks and everything else. I cried multiple times in my car driving by. I didn't even know who these kids were. 
but seeing something you I, I'm watching you guys on the zoom you know exactly what I'm talking about I just seeing did it with my husband kids, we were all oh, crying yeah. yes <laughs> I mean we like our all guy and said it's happening now it's it's you know we're, we're getting we're almost back we're almost back all of these so. all of these normal little things like kids going to school like you know my son had a homecoming a couple of weeks ago and the parents came over as we did the pictures outside and all that and I mean, like I had to walk out of the room, like, oh my gosh, it's like such a normal thing, you know? And they, it's so important. So it's it's crazy what gets you these days. Oh my gosh. I'll be in my car and I'll be driving along and I'll just burst into tears thinking about something like this. I mean, it is, it's, it's crazy what gets you. And yeah, so, let, so let's keep yeah. moving in this direction. You know, we talked about some, some heavy stuff today and, and let's know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that these kids are more resilient, that we give them credit for. It breaks our heart. Like all this stuff we're talking about is because we love them so much and we feel bad for them because they have had a big loss. And so have we, but I think their loss is more potent because we're their parents, right? And maybe yeah. the grandparents feel that way about us. You know, maybe they feel like, oh, they're poor kids that are managing or that are raising kids during this. But I really think, you know, we need to hug each other a little tighter, you know, masks on or masks off, you know, turn your head away, whatever it might be. <laughs> and, and just know, I mean, look, I've been flying on a lot of airplanes and people are, are being really good. The news is showing us the bad moments. And the reality is a lot of people are really trying to kind of get us back on track. And it is happening. I mean, professors are showing up, real classes are happening, relationships are happening, kids are finding boyfriends and girlfriends again, you know, whatever, you know, is floating their boat, it's, it's getting there. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And, you know, we, um, I'll get back to like where we started with this, like if we are in the present then we can move forward. But if we can't accept where we are right now and find those best moments and look for those things and let go of the stuff that doesn't matter, then what's the point right now? Like we've got to enjoy, we've got to figure out ways to enjoy where we are. I think we need all the permission in the world to let go. I think that that is a great, like, you know, I think, I think we need to be able to pare down our life to what feels manageable right now. Focus all of our attention on that and really just let the other things go. So true. Okay, so we solved all the problems, so that's awesome. Where can everybody get the book? (laughs) Oh, yeah, please. So everybody who's listening, we have so many new followers um, that are Deirdre fans. It's so much fun. Lots of runners, lots of news, whatever. Please go to parents. Lots of very type A people. I'll apologize (laughs) for that. They're very uptight. (laughs) Yeah, go to www.parentcompassbook.com. Dot com and follow us on at Parent Compass on Instagram. Um, we're on Twitter, Parent Compass One. We're on LinkedIn at Cindy Muchnick and Jen Curtis. And we're on Facebook at The Parent Compass. And and don't forget, um, you know, some of your friends, Deirdre, have actually even done this for us from your crew, have started book clubs. And yes. The Parent Compass is a great book club book for right now. When we are asking all these questions and trying to re-enter, The Parent Compass is going to give you and your village really tangible steps that you can take that are very potent, very current, very applicable for these, you know, questions that we're asking today and how to go through them and how to keep that positive relationship between you and your teen and focus on their mental health and focus on your mental health and, you know, and try to kind of help launch these kids into a very different and uncertain world, but with the tools they need and with our relationship with them intact. 
So you know, I said, I, I hate people talking about their silver linings these days, but I have to say you guys are kind of a silver lining for me. So I, I should take that oh, back because I, I have really enjoyed getting to know you um, during the pandemic because we've actually become great little Instagram friends and messaging back and forth. And I think that what you're putting out right now is so what so many people need. And, you know, we had a conversation about kids and parents, but really we're, this is just a people conversation because <laughs> then the issues are the same, no matter what age you are and what stage of life you're in. So thank you Absolutely. so much. And, you know, best of luck thank with the book. And I can't, I can't wait to see what book you write next, because oh. I think that there's another one coming. <laughs> I don't know, Deirdre, we're, you know, we're, we're having fun marching this parent compass movement out and it is catching on. So we're so grateful to you and your kindness and your enthusiasm for the book and us, and we love you too. So lots of love going oh. around. Right back at you. The only thing missing from that conversation was a glass of wine. Honestly, that was so much fun for me. I just so enjoy talking to those two and um, just getting their take on what they're seeing across the country. We ended up chatting after we hit stop on the Zoom recording for another 30 minutes about all the things that they are seeing and directions that they see families going. And it's really... It's interesting. It's inspiring. It's a little scary at times too. I mean, it's such uncharted territory, not only for parents, but for the students and especially for their teachers who are spending the bulk of the day with them. Think about that. Now that they are finally back in school, um, that's where your kids spend most of their day. So the influences that they are getting from the kids around the school and from those teachers and, and the administrators is really, really critical. And there's a lot on everybody's plate. So you know, people are doing their best. You got to remember that, but it is not easy as we all kind of restart, try to restart together. Don't forget to check out their book. It's called The Parent Compass. And as um, I think Cindy had mentioned, there were some people who listened to their earlier podcast who formed um, book clubs, <laughs> which was really cool. I did not see that coming, but they really did. They formed book clubs, they read it, and they talked about it with their school community. And that is actually really cool because if you can parent in like with some of the other parents in your kid's social group, it sure does make things easier because your village um, is united in how you're looking at things. So uh, I think that's an awesome idea. I would encourage you to reach out and get the book. The book is not long. It is not a hard read. You can pick it up and put it down, but it definitely gets you talking and um, maybe it just gives you, you know, some other strategies on how to deal with um, challenges that maybe your family is running into. You can also keep up with them on Instagram. You'll find them on Instagram at Parent Compass. Their page has totally exploded since the last time they were on the show. And one thing that they do that I think is, will not surprise you based on how generous they are with information is they share other uh, experts info as well. They're really good about saying, Hey, check out this new book and check out this person and, and suggesting really great pages to follow. And if you have teenagers, the one page that they suggested that I love following is called Raising Teens Today. It's just good for a laugh each day. <laughs> I won't even tell you what's on there. Just go look at it, but you will love it. It's very, very funny. And then sometimes it's very poignant as well which is, you know, just life these days in general. Thanks for listening to Dying to Ask. If you have something you want to say about the show, reach out to me. The easiest way to do that is on Instagram. You'll find me at runreadsip. Just send me a direct message and I'm happy to respond to you there. And if you have a minute, I'd love you to go to the rating and review section on whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. Hit some stars, help the algorithms, share the show, all that good stuff, because that is honestly how it works in podcasting. Podcasting is like, it's like the guy who's the sign spinner on the street who's trying to get you to turn down and go buy like the hot dog or whatever. It is word of mouth. Or it's somebody holding a big arrow telling you to drive that way. So consider this your sign spinner 
attempt right here. This is it. I appreciate everybody who's done it. And it has helped the show as we uh, have started up our, our newest season. It's helped it start going back up in the algorithms because I, I don't know, it's like magic. And uh, it's not easy to crack sometimes. But you guys sharing it is the, the fastest way to do that. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week on the Dying to Ask podcast.